0: It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Hey everybody, this is The One. I'm Greg Gutfeld, very excited for today's guest. He's kind of a legend. He's a great writer and a great screenwriter, author. Brett Easton Ellis, he wrote Less Than Zero when he was only 21, uh, which I'm just coming to terms with. Uh, He also wrote the great book American Psycho, which became a a legend of a film. And uh, he's now got a new nonfiction book, his first nonfiction book called White, in which he discusses what it's like living among a world of progressives and politically correct. And it's, uh, it's, it's really great, great essays. How you doing, Brett?
1: I'm doing great, Greg. How about you?
0: I feel I feel pretty good. You know, I watched the debate <laughs> last night. Did you watch any of it? <laughs> uh, I would I would
1: come into the bedroom where my uh, partner was very invested in debates, and I could really only take so much of it. I mean, I really had to – I mean, I just got pushed back out of the room. So I didn't – I, I can actually say I didn't watch – the full debate. I followed some of it on social media. And I have to say that really the only person, the sanest person out of all those people is Marianne Williams. Yeah, she's the only one that I really like. Everyone it, else is just I don't know where they're coming from.
0: You know, it's the uh, he, she has two things in common with Trump. She's not a politician. And she at least she has a perspective like, you know, where, you know where she's coming from. It's about it's like she's addressing this as a psychological battle, you know, exactly. It's, and I and get it. What, I totally get it too, and
1: that's why she is so interesting because she is she is really quite real, right? You know she she is she does not have this processed canned quality that all of the other uh, you know candidates have, and it's just
0: just so hard to watch. Mm-hmm. You know, um, did so you I, see so, her? So no, I, did you see her interview being interviewed by a, a little child, and the child asked her about her? Oh, pet. Yes. that was fantastic. Oh, yes. The cat that died? Yes. she. I mean, that's not a politician. The, he says, no. do you have any pets? And she goes, I had a cat and it died.
1: <laughs> Can you imagine what Beto O'Rourke would have said? Yes. <laughs> I mean, I just it, – it, I, I don't know what it exactly would be. Yeah. But I just know the
0: thought of it kills me. Yes. He would probably say that as a white man, he forbids himself from owning a pet. Because it just feels <laughs> like uh, just another oppression, uh, oppressive practice and blah, blah. He, by the way, I, I I know you didn't watch much. He has disappeared completely. He's on, He's not even on the stage when he's there. It's it's bizarre. Well, the question really becomes why
1: is he there anyway? Yeah, and how did he get pushed into this? Was it really just like being on the cover of Danny yes. Fair and anointing him, you know, he's going to be the frontrunner? Got him to the stage without really vetting him, yeah really you, you know really doing a deeper dive into how um you know uh, how viable yeah. he was as a candidate and, and, they, and they didn't do it, and now he's just this completely i mean he seemed really like the least prepared <laughs> least uh, least um mature right person on that stage, and he's got a lot of competition, he, so i don't know it was
0: yeah he um that the cover the vanity fair cover the was it lebowitz was it Leibowitz? Was it Le- i can't was it i think it was took the, I think I, it must have been yeah it has to be but it was vanity like fair. you could there was there were some ominous things like there was a. She, he's on the cover there's a dog to his right and the dog i think it's a dog yes looks miserable the dog's like going i don't even believe in this guy
1: well, this was also part of the problem of the new Vanity Fair for those of you who care, Vanity yeah. Fair had been going along as a, as a pretty good uh, you know journalist uh, covered Hollywood yeah. type magazine fancy magazine and then it suddenly got in the hands of a progressive yeah uh, I'm sorry to say, and it just it was it's been fail after fail after fail of covers and of what they're promoting and not necessarily what the Vanity Fair crowd uh, prefers. And I think the beta cover was one of those missteps that just just went splat.
0: Yeah. You know what? I mean, I tweeted this uh, uh, kind of it was a semi obscure reference yesterday after after the debate where I said uh, watching the debate, it was like how Trump loomed over everything. I said he was like the the, like the dead mom and hereditary. And if you haven't seen that movie, but it was like it's like he is like so he's kind of like the devil in the exorcist. Everybody's possessed. Everybody's possessed and they're all talking about him. But he's like it almost makes him more alluring or appealing because he's creating such a so, so much conflict, you know. I well, know. you know.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I, I do agree with that. And I and I have always thought that if the Democrats really want to. Um, you know, win back the house is that they have to ignore him and they mm-hmm. cannot constantly <laughs> react to it. It's the same with uh, with my boyfriend, you know, who is just constantly reacts
0: to everything Trump says to the point where he's psychotic. My boyfriend's <laughs> psychotic. Does he <laughs> does it bother, way, Does he listen to you when you talk about him like this? Uh,
1: yes, he does. <laughs> I mean, it, it. He's okay with it, and, and certainly he's mentioned a lot in white. And yeah. I, uh, I, I gave him. Look, he read it and he said, "You know what? What can I say? I mean, that <laughs> if that's how you see me, that's how you see me." And it and it is, and I, I can't say none of it is not true. Yeah, it's just the way you're looking at it. And, and he thinks he's totally justified in being and having uh, uh, proudly right. Trump derangement syndrome.
0: Yeah, you know, yesterday we left off. We were talking. We were, I interviewed you for Fox Nation, and we were we were just kind of touching on how PC culture impacts the entertainment world, mm-hmm. and I I, th- I wanted to just kind of. T- Get back to there and talk about how you feel that the like hyper the hyper politically correct society has changed artistic freedom. Has it? Do you think? Uh, well, I think it is. I, I think it is,
1: and I think it's transforming young people who would be pure artists into little comrades who are following a list of rules they need to follow in order to get their book published, their songs out there, the movies they want made. It was very interesting. I saw a lot of reaction to the Quentin Tarantino movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Mm -hmm. and a lot of the negative stuff was from younger progressive critics who found much of the movie offensive. Uh, They found the violence against women offensive. They found uh, uh, Quentin's foot fetish offensive. They thought that uh, the Sharon Tate character wasn't given equal reign as the two uh, main male stars of the movie. All of these ideological problems they had that really had nothing to do with aesthetics. Yeah. And art is about aesthetics. It is not about ideology. Every story has been told. You know, Every character has been presented to us, but it's just how that story is told aesthetics, by the way, and how that character is presented to us. And if we're going to start creating plots um, and creating characters that have to follow a list of rules, uh, we're doomed. Uh, we, we live in, Then we live in a country that really doesn't care about art anymore. And I find this, this is my main beef, and it really was what ignited me uh, in, in writing White, is that I saw this happening. And I saw that we were uh, the culture was reacting to art in a way that was uh, anti-ethical to how it's created, mm-hmm. and that is that's with freedom, with imagination, with you know, if I wanted to write in the voice of a young Muslim girl, I should be able to write in that voice. Yeah. So of course, now I would be attacked for being you know being, being a cultural appropriator, which is one of the dumbest <laughs> things that I've ever heard. I think Quentin Tarantino also got into this a little bit. Someone said that he was culturally appropriating some, something someone or the other. And of course he's a racist. Yeah. Let's just drop that in. The racist thing is everyone's a racist, but Clinton's also a racist because there are no black people in the movie. Yeah. And,
0: um, you know, it, and it takes place in
1: 1969 in Hollywood, and that was a pretty white period. So I I don't know what you what you can do. I mean, you have to fight against it.
0: Yeah. You, who, it was, who was the, um, the director? Uh, I hate it when I'm about to discuss a movie, and I can't remember the name of the director or the movie. It was about – I think it was about D-Day – and it was the British soldiers trying to get home. It was Dunkirk. Dunkirk. And how that director got so for much so grief much. for not having enough uh, brown and black faces. And this was World War II, and they're British.
1: Uh, yeah, I remember that, too. That was one of – but but it, it was so absurd that that came out. I remember yeah. there was an article, I think, in USA Today, an editorial about mm-hmm. that, where the young uh, progressive critic was not going to see Dunkirk – because in the trailers he saw that there were it wasn't diverse,
0: right? Exactly. There were no
1: black people. There were no, and you know when you get into that, um, you're you know you're entering into a kind of rewriting of history, mm-hmm. and um, it's just like why are we doing that then? Yeah. What's the point of doing that just so we can feel better about ourselves? Re- this really happened. Yeah. These were the soldiers. This is what it looked like. This was what it felt like. So uh, it is It is a problem, and I think that w- there is not really enough pushback on it. I think it's really kind of made American movies so less interesting uh, than they ever were because people are too afraid to tip their toes into you know, certain subject matters or deal with certain characters. Uh, I think one of the reasons why I like Tarantino so much is that he seemingly doesn't care, yeah. and he's just making this movie on his own and has the power to do it. Um, regardless if it's not diverse, it's not inclusive. It's really about the two guys. And it's really about, you know, um, uh, it, and in some way it is about, you know, the failure of uh, white mm-hmm. male men in this in this moment. Yeah,
0: I'm, I'm curious about I don't know. Do you have you seen any of uh, Craig Zoller's movies? I've seen all of them. What I I found I dragged across concrete. I couldn't stop thinking about that movie. For I I, I mean I, I'm just interested in what I, I Bone Tomahawk and the and the uh, brawl in uh, Cell Block 99 I really love these movies even though they disturb the hell out of me um, What do you make well, What do you make of him I think that he's very interesting
1: because he doesn't care Yes and he's making movies I mean when I say doesn't care he doesn't care about the current ideology right. that's suffocating everybody. And he makes movies um, that are uh, fairly upfront about sympathetic, I guess you can call them fairly conservative guys mm-hmm. who are trapped in a kind of system. I'm thinking of the, of the two later movies, not necessarily right. Bone Tomahawk. But that touches on it too. I mean, um, in terms of being trapped in a culture that wants to uh, kind of take away their. Uh, their their freedoms in a way yeah. and 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 also wants to it, it, they're kind of reminded me a little bit of the Dirty Harry films yeah uh, especially uh, Drive Across uh, Concrete in terms of these guys needed to do a job they needed to bust a dealer and the whole movie hinges on uh, these two cops played by Mel Gibson and Vince Vaughn uh, as being I guess a little too rough with mm-hmm. one of the suspects right. In, in, a, in a drug thing and someone catches it on a phone and then they're therefore for they are fired from the force for about a month or two months. And then how are they going to make a living? How are they going to make money? But anyway, I think he's really interesting because, you know, he has a scene in that movie where he's fired. They're fired by their police chief played by Don Johnson, right. in fact. And it's a very, it's a very upfront scene about race, yeah. about class, about three white guys talking very honestly about how how it would probably go down in that office, mm-hmm. and he doesn't censor anything, and it's kind of surprising to hear dialogue like that in a movie now. Yeah, and so um, he's uh, he's very interesting, but he's also you know there is a, a downside from the entertainment press who has caught on to uh, it, uh, as Craig Zoller and seems to like to criticize the movies uh, based on their own ideology, right? And, you know, because I think those movies are genre movies. I think, you know, uh, every every one of them is a genre picture. Mm-hmm. They're not there loaded with ideology. Mm-hmm. They're about, you know, they're about violence and they're about, you know, dangerous guys. And um, but uh, but still, you know, you you read reviews of the films from, you know, the liberal entertainment
0: mainstream. They have to uh, and, they have to write yeah. at least three paragraphs. One of the things that tips them off, these these reviewers, is that. Uh, You know, Armand White will write a favorable review of uh, Zoller's film. And so that immediately makes it a it's a favorite among right wingers. And then then they go from that. They then they go and they start stabbing the movie with with that weapon. It's like, oh, now that it's liked by somebody from National Review, it has to be like a reactionary uh, kind of racist uh, film, which is kind of like I was reading. I was going I think I saw a different film than what they were seeing. I have to. I have to ask you. What did you make? I thought that subplot or that little short story within dragged across concrete was so interesting, involving what Jennifer Carpenter. You know what I mean? Where she's the mother. Oh my god! Yep. No one does that. <laughs> no. Yeah. it's novelistic, yes. it's novelistic and it's aggressive and the movie's
1: about two hundred and forty minutes. It's a long film, yeah, but it really does take its time and he's very careful laying everything out so that you completely understand what's going on, especially his action sequences. Mm-hmm. spatially they're really beautifully yeah. constructed visually and and you can and he, and he really prolongs them, really teases them out. yeah and I did. I love this section. the movie kind of stops and we follow another character we haven't been following. <laughs> And it really ends in a kind of
0: shocking, shocking moment of violence. It's and then the, it, it it's so it it is it's like a set piece within a movie. Does, I mean, I I I can't think of any other movies that have done something like that. I don't know, like mean, it's like almost like a musical scene where they just drop something in, and and then it oh, it's just it's I I I get the logic behind it, but I don't want to talk about it because if somebody hasn't seen it, then they might right. you know I don't want to ruin it for them. Yeah, no, I like that about his movies too. Yeah, and uh, I, and the Bone Tomahawk, I can talk about the, his movie, the Bone Tomahawk, the best most grisliest scene ever i've ever ever,
1: yes. ever i've never seen a grizzlier scene than the scene that we're talking about from <laughs> bone tomahawk a really good movie too yes. i like that movie a lot with kurt russell mm-hmm. and it does contain one of uh, maybe the most shocking uh grizzly moment of violence that i've ever witnessed yeah. and i'm 55 and i've seen <laughs> thousands of movies and it comes so quickly there's yes. no music there's nope. no setup it just kind of happened <laughs> yes and it's
0: Horrible! It's, it's absolutely—it's still, still seared in my mind. I can't. You know what? I tell people, uh, I go just go on YouTube and type, um, type "Bone Tomahawk Cave Scene," and tell. And because, uh, but I, I because they, they go, I'm not going to see the movie. And I go, well, okay, don't. I had so I I met uh, Kurt Russell a couple years ago, and we were in a bar. We talked for an hour about this movie, and he told me that there was a there was a long discussion about whether or not. The guy was going to be naked, or I mean, get, they, they were like there were people that just felt that it was too far. And Kurt Russell's going, "No, you got to go as you got to take this as far as possible." And um, and he was just like, you know, because it was like it was even shocking to the people there. You know? Yeah, yeah, that scene wouldn't have worked with the victim clothes. No, no. It wouldn't have been as effective. There was
1: something about the realness of the flesh and yeah. whatever, but uh it's a very it's a it's a hardcore scene, and 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 in a movie I'd recommend. It's a good
0: oh, movie. I, think. I I I I, uh, I find all of it like all of his movies just uh, so unique. I mean, even uh, the uh, cell block was is those fight scenes are are just so they're so different than what you normally see, and I can't explain it. You probably could, but they're just they are like. Um, Choreographed, choreographed, but natural. I don't know how to explain it. You and they're know? also not hyped up by yeah. like
1: this score that supposedly that's supposedly to They're strange. And they're, and they're also ultra
0: violent. It's the sounds. In a calm way. It's the sounds. That's you're right. Yeah. That's yeah. why we remember this. The sounds, because there's no music. Now I finally just when you said it, I just realized because in Bone Tomahawk, you hear her. you hear what he does to the mouth, you hear what he does after the mouth, you hear the the, the snapping and the slicing. Uh, yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: you do, and, and
1: and that's and that's also true for all the head crushing that goes on. Yes,
0: yes. Oh my God, that was amazing. That scene was fantastic. Um, I, Ooh. I it's just, I, you know what, this makes me want. This makes me want to go watch all of them in a row. Just see if I can. Uh, that would be, <laughs> that'd be a long day. Well, you remember? Do, I mean, we're in the same age group. We used to do that with Planet of the Apes. Like, remember they used to have the Planet of the Apes festivals from Saturday well, morning well, re- to Saturday. Well,
1: I remember go I remember there would be triple matinee. Yeah, of them, and I would be going. there would be like three or four, and you would be in a movie theater all day, exactly. The Planet of the Apes things. Oh yes, of course I did. Yeah, and in fact, Up his, until uh, about. I yeah.
0: don't. I don't like I don't like the remakes. I like the original ape movies. Are um, they, they're, you know what they're of a time? They're of an era that is so gritty and 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 um, just miserable. I guess I don't know. And I love I love uh, anything with Charlton Heston, even though he's only in the first one. No, I know. Uh, but you know the other ones had some had
1: some of their charms. I remember uh, I always loved seeing Paul Williams show yes. up. <laughs> Was he Zeus? Uh,
0: Zeus, Zeus? Was he Zeus? Yeah. He? Yes.
1: Yeah. But um, the other the, – the, the ones that are, are being made now are super heavy, mm-hmm. uh, super CGI. They're, they're trying to go for this kind of soulless photorealism that I guess some people find soulful. I just find them to be kind of a drag. Yeah. And as impressive as they are, they're just like they're, – they're also heavily imbued with a kind of political resonance mm-hmm. and a kind of ideology. And it's they just kind of exhaust me, and they're just not as kind of those seventies eight, those seventies eighties movies were like uh, I don't know they were just junky and yeah. miserable and gritty. Yeah, and I don't know. It's um it was it, that's a very good that's a very interesting uh, analogy between movies then and what movies have become now.
0: Yeah, even like think about um uh like Soylent Green, The Omega Man, those Ch- those Chuck Heston films. Even like Dirty Harry, they're all. It, it was maybe it was because we just had less of everything, and and it was life was a little uh, like, like our food sucked. I mean, I just feel like I had terrible food in the seventies. Yeah. Everything with yeah. te- television was like your TV yeah. was weighed four hundred pounds. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Everybody no, smoked. Everybody smoked inside all you your, your oh, yeah. the inside of your car. The, your, your sofas, There was it, it smelled of cigarettes. Your, your grandparents stunk of cigarettes and weird, <laughs> you know?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I know. But, you know, but also at the same time, there, it was a glorious decade for, for some reason, movies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there was a flowering of what I call empire art because the 70s took place at the height of the American empire. And there was amazing music and amazing films being made. And amazing novels being published. So, you know, yes, you kind of give and – there's a give and take. I mean, yeah. I do remember all of those things you said about the 70s, but I'm also, I kind of wipe them away with, you know, uh, some of the great cultural artifacts that came out of the
0: 70s. Yeah. There's so much, the 70s to me will always be Paul Lind. Like, I, like Paul Lind was like, to me, he's like the, you know, you had Love American Style. You had all this weird kind of adult humor that I didn't understand. Like, why was Paul Lind so funny? I have no idea why, but I. But he was like, he was uh, a man who acted like your mother. You know, there's just something weird about. Like I didn't understand, but I found him absolutely hilarious. And then there's just like that doesn't it really exist anymore? Could you make American Psycho the movie in this climate? Well, you know, I I, again I talk about this in white. I have a long
1: essay on where would Patrick Bateman be uh, in various decades since the '80s. And I I always regretted in some way when I was living in Manhattan during the tech boom, you know, the mid-90s, that he, I hadn't waited and said it there because that was even crazier and more decadent and more ramped up than the late 80s were in Manhattan. Um, there was so much more seemingly so much more money uh, going around and kids were acting just crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, You know, I suppose you could. But I, the part of the problem is that New York in the late 80s when American Psycho was set – was still really gritty. There weren't cameras on every corner. I don't know if he would have have gotten away with most of his crimes. I mean, it was still, (laughs) in many ways, an an analog era. Right. I mean, now everyone has phones. I mean, you really do have to plot out books now much differently than you did because of the iPhone. So, you know, I I, I don't know how – it would be a different kind of Patrick Bateman. um, But his crimes would probably have to be something along the lines of like one night mass shooting, something along those lines, because in terms
0: of actually carrying out the crimes he says he commits Mm -hmm. uh, might be tough now. Yeah. Do you think um, do you think I was talking about this about I was watching all these all this phone video of these teens uh, mobbing people and beating them up? Do you think we're just seeing more of it because of the phones? It's not like there's more crime. It's just that like, could you imagine if we did have phones in the 70s? I mean, with the crime rate the way it was, holy crap, we would be like, we would never leave our homes. This is I don't, well, I don't know. I mean, the question
1: becomes, uh, you know, a lot of the time, the argument that I get into with my millennial partner, it, when I see something that kind of outrages me, uh, and I and I think it's incredibly widespread, he will say, you know, that's not true. I mean... Yeah. You know, what's going on – for example, a couple of years ago when you know, all the campus protests and right. stuff going on in Berkeley about Ben Shapiro and all this stuff, you know, I was outraged. And I hated this lack of free speech and it was even you – know, forget the students, but just, you know, the, um, the teachers, the professors also getting on it. And he would just say, "No, you know what? The media is blowing us all out mm-hmm. of proportion. That's not really how it is across the nation. This is just some pockets. and it's... So I don't know. I mean um, – you 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 see these these videos and you think my God it's happening everywhere and uh, I don't know I mean I, did you see that one of the girl peeing on the potatoes at Oh the I
0: I just saw that today <laughs> and she I saw her going into court and it's it's just like it's like I still didn't figure out why she was peeing on the potatoes but I loved how the health department said there was no risk involved I'm going there's it goes there's it's very minimal risk everything's okay you can, it was at a it was at a Walmart right. Yeah, and but the th-
1: but what she was doing was this thing that was that, that's been going viral of young kids going in supermarkets and yes. defiling the food, yep. either spitting on a thing of ice cream and putting the carton back in, or yep. urinating on something, or blowing their nose on something, and it's become a thing. Yes, you know. Yeah, and, and she just did it very poorly. <laughs> yes, she, she was turned- not good form. I mean, you're going into a Walmart <laughs> and you're going to squat over some Yukon potatoes and you think you're going to get away with it. And they have they have, they have have uh, uh, footage of her leaving yeah. Walmart, quite happily looking at her phone, this kind
0: of like, you know. Uh, I don't know. But Stumpy it would be girl. It's, and you know what? It's going to – just for that little piece of attention that she thought she was going to get, it's going to take a long time. Well, actually, maybe it will take just 72 hours for people to forget about it. But I would just – I mean like she's forever in her neighborhood to be known as the girl who peed on the potatoes. <laughs>
1: Uh, for some people now in this era for that generation, that might be a badge of
0: honor. <laughs> it, is. it might be. I mean, what else do they have? What else do they have? <laughs> All right. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Do you um you know you brought up the campus stuff? I was do you think I I I keep hearing comedians complain about the climate of like how it's you know people are taking jokes literally and and all this stuff and they don't but I don't see I'm disappointed I guess in the fact that a lot of comedians don't actually do anything about it maybe they can't but they, I think they're always always I'm bringing this up because I just watched Aziz Ansari's Netflix special right and he goes after the woke he goes after the woke. World, But I think he was only going after because he was Me too I just – I wish I could see – I'd like to see more entertainers, comedians, I guess. Uh, oh, you don't want to see another Hannah Gadsby special? <laughs> <session? laughs> yes, I don't. Do you want to – or, or a Tig Notaro <laughs> special? Oh,
1: my God. <laughs> those those <Yes>. grim experiences? <laughs> oh, yeah. I want more comedy that, like that. This bring them back on. Exactly. I mean, I think – I'm. <laughs> I mean, that to me is the nature of where yes. we're gone, and yep. yet extolled by the press. Yes, extolled by the entertainment press. It's just not funny. It's it, and it's sopolistic. It's just awful. It's yeah. absolutely awful. And yet, because it has a certain ideology about it, the the press is all over it. Yeah. Look, I the you know the the few um, people who are doing that kind of comedy, that is, you know, it's uh, out there. Go after everybody, laugh at everything or laugh at nothing. Get attacked by the press, yeah. and it's kind of hard to maneuver in a way. Look, the only place where you could really see that kind of comedy anymore, and I don't even know if they're doing it, are the, uh, uh, the Comedy Central Roast. Right, yeah. Where you, where you would have comedians of all stripes, of all ages, of all genders, just saying the filthiest things and yeah. and everybody in the audience black and white old and young you know women and men laughing hysterically at them the last couple of times i saw that and some of those roasts
0: aren't funny but it gave me hope yeah you know what's okay, to that point though i remember one that they really really went overboard in which they were using the c word and but it was because the hope the roastee was ann coulter so that was okay <laughs> they were like right. i don't know if you remember that they just, just ripped her to shreds, and there were men doing it and women. But it was just—it was so clear that she had not, like I, whatever anybody thinks of Ann Coulter. Nobody deserves that. But but I
1: heard I heard that the Comedy Central writers offered her jokes. Uh huh. She didn't take them. She didn't. That's she right. Brought in her own, and then she put in her own people, and that's why they then you know uh, yeah uh, redid the jokes to reflect that. Look, I remember watching the James Franco. Uh, mm-hmm roast with the oh the f word yeah. uh, you know yeah whatever i can say it i'm gay whatever yeah. but that was being thrown around a lot yeah Some it was funny sometimes it wasn't i was never offended by the usage of that word and of course it was brought up there because of james franklin likes to dabble in yeah. homosexual subcultures and you know and i had no problem with it but again i guess this brings us back to aziz Ansari because mm-hmm. he was one of the people on that roast and he got up and he said so he was completely offended by the use of that word being, you know, used so liberally. Yeah, and that was one of the first moments where I saw a kind of um, what do you call it? A uh, a celebrity virtue signaling. Yeah, and I thought this is virtue signaling, and it was. And I and I thought he really didn't understand the spirit of the roast. <laughs> yes, which is which is a roast. Mm-hmm. Not you're not a, you're not at a high school graduation. You're at a roast. And, um, I don't know, I, getting, this is all like a, a long way away from what you're talking about, but still, I, I do miss the dangerous comedy. Yeah. And I'm not talking about comedy that's just about racism or sexism, but adult comedy. Yeah. Where you can take it, where you can take it, and it's not it just does not have to be, you know, puritanized uh, to a degree for everyone so no one gets offended. I want to get offended by comedy.
0: Yes. I want, I love. And I'm a marginalized group. <laughs> Well, I'm short, so I'm slightly marginalized. <laughs> you know, um, Don Rickles, like the, the do, do you remember? You and I both grew up in the same era of watching Don Rickles just look into the audience and target different ethnic groups, and just and everybody's there, And then he'd go, "Oh, he'd be sweating." I love you. He'd say after he would just like say all this, shit, he, then he'd go, "I love you, I love you," and everybody's laughing. You can't. That I, I, I don't know. Not well, in this in climate. The
1: same it's the same way with those, uh, simple comedy rows. Everybody's laughing. Yeah. Black People, white people, it's yeah. all it, because it's just funny. Yeah. Some sh- funny. Yeah. You know, and that's what, and, and, and often it is about marginalization. Yeah. Often it is about you being a loser. Often it is about you not winning the lottery or whatever, yeah. or being a woman or being a man or yeah. being a homosexual or be whatever. That's part of what it's funny. And you really, again, I have to reiterate that whole notion of if you, if you can't, uh, if you don't laugh at every – well, whatever. Laugh at everything and laugh at nothing, you know. The yeah. Thing. And once you start, like, making notes about what you can say and what you can't say, then
0: we're all screwed. I hope it ends, Brett. I hope this is, like, just a temporary weird bout of hysteria that we look back at and go, well, that was a weird time. But I don't know. Uh- I hope
1: so too. And I, well, I certainly think that we are living in, it feels like we're in a pressure cooker yeah. where more and more people just cannot live that way. And especially if you're an artist, it's very hard to live that way as well. And I know both, I people on both sides of the aisle who hate political correctness, yeah. they hate identity politics, they hate all of this stuff. And they, and they still, you know, they still hate Trump. Yeah. So it's not necessarily like, oh, all my liberal friends really are into identity politics and PC culture, and you can't say that. They're not. Yeah. So I don't understand who is deciding.
0: Yes. Is it just a few people on the internet? That's what it is. Just it's like you said uh, when we talked before, it's 2%. It's two percent. It's a, it, right. it, it's this activist voice that frightens people. Maybe they're going to do a boycott. Maybe they're going to call the advertisers. Maybe I'm going to get a gig canceled because they can cancel gigs. You know, any if a comedian does something, or they'll show up at your at, at one crazy person will show up at in your at your show and and shut it down somehow. So I think that I think people just have to share the I, they have to share the risk. People have to say yeah. I'm willing to take the heat for somebody else. I think that's the only way forward but I don't know. and i and i
1: hope that is going to happen yeah
0: well brett thank you so much once again this has been a pleasure and everybody go out and get his his brand new his 1st nonfiction book white it's fantastic brett thank you for giving me this time thank you greg